This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. You know, sometimes they say it's over, but it's never over. Sorry, couldn't resist. That's the extent of my sliced alone impressions. We're uh, we're talking about the films, some of the neglected and overlooked, and uh, maybe should be overlooked films of Sylvester Stallone on this edition of Lends Me Your Ears. My name is Stephen Cook, and I'm an arts writer here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. My name is Karsten Knox. I write about film. I have a blog called Flaw on the Iris. You can find at halifaxbloggers.ca. And we take a look at films from the past, connect them to films that are currently in theaters or on streaming services or wherever you might find them, and try to make those connections and hopefully introduce you to something new. And in this case, we are talking about Sylvester Stallone, one of the most enduring stars, also writer and director. He's, he's a renaissance man of some sort, and also a demolition man, as it turns out. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this trip through his filmography over the next hour. So, Stephen, here we are, September... 2019, and if you had told me 20 years ago that we would still be talking about Sylvester Stallone releasing new Rambo movies, I would have laughed. I would have laughed. Even 10 years ago, I might have laughed, even though there was a Rambo movie in 2008. Uh, Yeah, here we are. We're recovering from the Finn Atlantic International Film Festival. We've seen all those those foreign language films. We've watched all those documentaries and we've felt the film culture. And now we're going back to Hollywood's dregs. Uh, you know what? I won't say that about all of Stallone's movies. There's a lot of his movies I really enjoy. And he is to be credited. He has had an immensely impressive career as a leading man, as an Oscar-nominated actor, as a writer and a director. Well, maybe less impressive as a director, but he's done it. He's certainly done it. And he's had multiple comebacks. He's, he's one of those actors who's been written off and somehow managed to find his way back to public favor. And that's uh, that's not nothing, nothing, nothing to sniff at. Like, that is all pretty impressive. And he's in occasionally in the middle of that. I mean, he's made you got four or five franchises. You know, he's made a lot of bad movies, but he's also made some pretty interesting and good decisions with his career. I will stand on uh, that that Rambo Last Blood is one of the worst decisions of his career. <laughs> I thought it was terrible. Uh, but, uh, you know. huge overseas. Yeah, it, pro- it probably will. And who knows? It, it, he leaves it open for more. I, I think I might slip into spoilers here, Warner's, warning here, listeners, that I... I uh, spoilers are a possibility just because when I'm this frustrated with a movie, I care less about, <laughs> you know, spoiling some of those plot points. Well, it, it'll be fun to tear it apart. So uh, <laughs> it's not something, I mean, you know, we're not, we're not the flop house. We're not, how did this get made? But once in a while we do go see a movie trying to go in with an open mind and either low or no expectations. And, and those low expectations are, are more than met. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that with uh, Rambo last blood, which, um, I, I don't know if it's just called that because Stallone is thinking about his own mortality. I mean, you know, the guy is 73 at this point and he's still making the kind of shoot him up, punch him up, blow him ups. Um, uh, you know, for, for ever dwindling budgets, um, to maximize profit. I mean, if I taught, you know, the film reads like a balance sheet <laughs> in a way. Like it's, you know, it's, it's kind of meant for overseas markets. I think, you know, it's going to do, it's going to make its money back. Obviously it was made on the cheap in like Spain and Lithuania or something like, like when you look at or Romania, like it was mostly shot overseas where uh, labor is cheap and so are locations and, and everything else. So, uh, that, that is kind of where his career is at at this point. Yeah. You know, I think he, he's still 
a, quite a high profile in the culture. I see him. I see, he was on Jimmy Fallon this week talking about this film, and this is one of his most well-regarded, well-remembered franchise characters, and it, he came to it, you know, back in the early 80s when he was a hot property and uh, and did that low-budget action movie First Blood in shot in British Columbia with Brian Dennehy, and I went back to watch that, and it still holds up. First Blood is still a really gripping, interesting film, and it's because his character is a lot of heart. He's a, he's a damaged Vietnam vet, He's a Green Beret, you know, he, he, he is fighting against the sort of the, uh, the fact that, that his, he and his soldier buddies were not welcome back. It's a, it's a Vietnam, you know, hangover movie, as many, there were many of these in, in the 80s. Uh, but in this particular case, he's this individual fighting against these corrupt cops in this little town in Oregon. Of course, as I mentioned, shot in British Columbia. It's, it's great use of locations. The action sequences are really compelling. A really good score. I'm, I'm a little sad that they don't still use some of that same score from well, the original film. They do use some of it here and there, but... Uh... Uh, you know, usually over the end credits or what have you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but it's really good. And just to see how far it's come to Rambo Last Blood and how little of that original inspiration still is in it. Um, you know, I read actually this week that the the inspiration, the book, it was it was from a book by David Morrell. And uh, the author went to see Last Blood, and he, he ended up feeling degraded and dehumanized by this new sequel. So, I mean, if the, if the guy who wrote the book that this character is based on is saying those kinds of things about your new movie or sequel, then I think there's something really wrong. Um, so, you know, uh, Stallone is back as Rambo. He's, 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 the, the one thing about, I'll say, the one thing about this new movie that I find almost the hardest thing to accept is the fact that he's back in the United States, and he has what looks like more or less a normal life. He lives on a ranch somewhere in Arizona. He has a, uh, a niece that he, he cares for and she's a teenager and she loves him. And he, the fact that he has all, like, he has come back to humanity after the last film, the last film in this franchise was in 2008, uh, Rambo, where he's, he's living in Burma and helping uh, missionaries there. I mean, mm-hmm. it was super violent, but I, I kind of believed it more than this one because I felt like his character who had spent his whole life trying to deal with the fact that he was trained to be a living weapon and he couldn't in the be jungle, a, in the jungle, <laughs> he couldn't do anything else. He couldn't be around normal people. He couldn't, he just was, he was, it was, he was a tragic figure. He could help people, but he couldn't really be around people because he was damaged goods. And uh, to find him now living, I mean, aside from the fact that he's built this incredibly ornate tunnel system underneath his property, like that's the weird, the weirdest we psychological ramifications of his past. Uh, you know, it, it, it. I just, I the the premise itself, I couldn't quite buy it. Having seen all those other movies, I'm like, there's no way this guy isn't living a normal life in America again. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, at the if if you recall, at the very end of. Uh, the last Rambo, which I think had the title John on screen. It was called John Rambo because maybe he's rediscovered his humanity in that film, or maybe that was the idea. And then they released it as just Rambo. Um, I can't remember if it had a subtitle. Or not I don't at this think point. so. Um, but the, the on screen title was John Rambo. And I thought, you know, cause like, like Rocky Balboa, it was like a kind of callback to when he made that other Rocky film that was, didn't have a numeral behind it. And that it was kind of starting afresh with the character. And I think that's kind of what they were doing there here. It's just like, well, you know, we've got this character and it sells tickets and we'll just come up with a, a 
story involving the Mexican drug cartel because that's a hot topic right now, and uh, and that's kind of it. You know, it's 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 not terribly well written. It's uh, you know, it's kind of it's got a really really tight or some would say incomplete running time. At, I mean, I think that the from start to finish it's like eighty five minutes, but I think. 15 of those are the end credits. Yeah, they're so, really long. They also took I mean, clips from the other movies. Maybe the best thing you can say about it is that it's short. But, um, but you know, I watched Rambo or John Rambo, the one from uh, from 11 years ago, and it holds, I mean, as far as, you know, what it does with the character and the, the, the plausibility of what he's doing, he's going into Burma, he's going to save these Christian missionaries and these, uh, the, the Christian Burmese who are being oppressed by the, the government uh, of the country, you know, you know, there's like an underdog he's sticking up for, which is always a good thing for his character. Uh, and he's in the jungle, and, and then it just ends with this very long and extended battle scene with the Burmese troops, and uh, and it's just it's it's a bit, it's pretty over the top in terms of its violence and everything like that. So you kind of expect well, there's going to be more of the same in this new one because obviously that worked real well with that last one, and uh, they 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 certainly pile on the the fighting and the violence and and uh, and so on, but. As far as the kind of underdog stuff goes and his motivation, it's uh, you know cause you say she's his niece. Is she his niece? Well, they they are a little she's, unclear about what the exact familial she's, uh, she's also his is. housekeeper's like niece or something. something. I think something, maybe yeah. I think maybe she's more like his goddaughter. Yeah. Um. I you know don't make me go back and rewatch this to figure it out. But <laughs> yeah, no. they they I think they just left it purposefully vague, uh, ambiguous as to what their relationship was but she he the point is that she is uh gabrielle she he looks at her like a daughter it's like some yeah. kind of redemption in his life he's been able to do one good thing to help this this girl and her father was a bad man who abandoned her and moved to mexico so she goes down to mexico to try to find out what the deal is like try to confront him and, and get some answers and it turns out that that you know, Rambo was right that he is a really bad man, and that we're dealing with absolutes here in this film, of course. And the if you believe this movie, everyone in Mexico lives in pain and fear because it's just a terrible place. Like this is this is oh, a yeah. Trumpian fan- fantasy of what yeah. life is like it's, it's on the other worst, side of the wall. Worst nightmare of what's lingering over the border. Yeah, yeah and uh, the dad character is hilarious because he's just he, at first he's all friendly and then he just turns on a dime and like I don't want to see you and all this kind yeah of stuff. and he's actually not he's not very good in well, the scenes that he's in yeah he's not a good help. he's not a good actor which is no surprise if you see some of the other later Stallone films but but also and then really ha- and like they couldn't tie him into the plot somehow he's just the reason that she crosses the border to find out where her father is despite everybody telling her like he he doesn't care. He doesn't want to see you and and then finding out everybody's right and plus her sketchy friend who is like the one who like, why did, why did she, like, she sell, I don't know, it makes my head hurt trying to connect all these plot points, because she has the sketchy friend who's now moved to um, Mexico, is, I guess, living on her own, but is kind of a club girl, and sells out her friend to um, the, 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 the sex traffickers, the sex traffickers slash drug cartel, um, you know, it's good to diversify, I guess, Um and but like what's her, like I'm not sure what her motivation like was like why would she connect this she obviously doesn't care about her friend so why would she connect her with her you know yeah, missing dad just the and, presumption is that she's poor and therefore she will do anything to 
to like you know uh, maybe make some some money I, I that was what i presumed was the case again another character i, I that, guess but, uh, yeah going to extreme know. lengths to lure a friend over the border so you can you know like pimp her out anyway yes. yeah it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense but you're asking uh, this movie to make sense that's when true it really, I, I re- yeah it's all pretty you know broad strokes uh there's also the paz vega character who is a uh, independent journalist as she called herself but who also has has a connection to the cartels and has lost a loved one and she basically is just there to help uh rambo at a point where he needs help you know he's he he's gets surrounded by the bad guys. He gets the crap beaten out of him, and then he needs a little bit of recovery time. And she steps in. But otherwise, I don't really understand what her role is here, other than to have someone for him to talk to on the other side of the border. <laughs> one the one sympathetic character, yeah. living in Mexico, yeah. And 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 then of course she turns on a dime too. Like she just all of a sudden refuses to help, even though she wants him to help her do her thing, but then all of a sudden decides that she doesn't want anything to do with him. And I, I don't know if there was like stuff left on the cutting room floor or stuff that wasn't written <laughs> at all. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I can't imagine they would leave out any scenes. Like the, I mean, I, I feel like these films are, are, you know, they, because they're so, they're made on such a tight budget. Uh, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of wasted footage because, you know, they need to use everything they film. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very strange. It's strange in how, I mean, Stallone's not very good in this. Like he just, uh, if you know, he he mumbles a lot. He's, I mean, that's all been kind well. of his his deal <laughs> from the beginning. But but he just feels like he's he's almost unintelligible here, and and he doesn't deliver the emotional uh, you know moments that are required, other than anger, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much. And yeah, and it's all leading up to him going back to his homestead. Um, and, you know, having a, a, a final battle with bad people in those tunnels. And you know what's coming. As soon as they, you see at the beginning, he's got – he's doing, like, metal work down there, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's making sure it's shored up and, and clear, and he's, he's working very hard. And it's like there's actually a, a, a grain of a good idea. It's like this man who has been so damaged comes – he does this – the impression I got at first is maybe he's doing this for therapy. Like this is something he does to make himself feel more safe in this land that he can he can create these tunnels underneath and i think if they had gone that way to show how he did this as almost like a like a way to to make him feel himself feel safe when he spent a life in war and he, you know it's a almost like a a ptsd related uh, obsession yeah well, that's that what would, i thought that they were going been, with it yeah but they don't even really talk about it he just no. it's just something he does and you know whatever no mm. biggie of course it becomes a big deal in the third act. Of course. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it just, you know, I just, I found myself really disappointed, partly because the last couple of uh, Rocky movies have been quite strong, and he handed over his his uh, control of those to Ryan Coogler, and Creed became a great movie, and he was really good in those. He, he His character is Rocky, really, will you know, we'll talk maybe more about Rocky, but, but you know, he it was smart and thoughtful and, and nuanced, and this is the opposite of all of those things. And I have a little bit of a, of a connection to this character just by virtue of having watched First Blood early in my life and really liking it. And then the sequel to that film was huge in 1983. In my tween years, I think I went to see it three times in the cinema, uh, 
Rambo First Blood Part 2. I mean, it's a bit of a cartoon, and, and he's kind of this Reaganite superhero going back to Vietnam to save the MIAs. Uh, but it's a super entertaining film. You know, there's a lot of things you can say about the Rambo franchise that are, you know, not very flattering. But they're not dull, these movies. They are entertaining, no. with the exception of this final one, I would say. I, there's lots of parts of Last Blood I was just, like, bored to tears. Uh, and it's hard to be bored in 85 85- technically 70 minute movie um but uh especially when they have like the montage over the end credits you know where you see all the scenes from the other movies and you kind of wish you were watching one, one of, of those one of the older movies um <laughs> yeah. i think yeah. R- rambo 3 is where i mean rambo 2 is it's it's the character on the loose in vietnam rescuing the 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 missing in action and of course at the time there was a slew of these films out there i i feel like maybe the i think maybe the deer hunter being a hit and and sort of people being conscious of the the, uh, the issues surrounding uh, Vietnam vets and how poorly they were treated when they returned home, um, that sort of dual thing kicked off this whole string of missing in action. You know, uh, you know Chuck, Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris sure. kind of films. Um, I mean, Rambo was obviously the biggest hit of the bunch and probably the one that instigated the sort of not on near the level of the deer hunter kind of films, of course. Um, well, it was the difference between the seventies and the eighties and the eighties were all about those sort yes, of like exactly. big pumped up heroes and Schwarzenegger and, and Stallone and all of that. Yeah. And then the Golan and Globus kind of in, imitators, the kind of the Canon films, low budget kind of ripoffs of the, the bigger budget, you know, a list studio films. And then of course, Rambo three, I think is a Golan Globus Canon production where he goes to Afghanistan. Yeah, that's uh, right. And, and helps out the Mujahideen. Yeah. And, and so, and that's a whole kettle of worms that you know that I, I don't really care to open right now. But but that uh, that that's you know that's I mean he was kind of a cartoon a little bit in, in, well more than a little bit in in uh, Rambo um, the second one. But then in the third one it just went into it was in self parody really. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean that's why I think the franchise sort of went fallow for a while, and I yes. I think that whole like focus on Vietnam was really an '80s phenomenon. Uh, so when, you know, they, he came back to the character in 2008, I mean, you know, I think there were a good 10 years there where Stallone had a hard time getting hired, getting arrested in Hollywood, where he, his, his brand was really gone. But the nostalgia factor and I think the success, as you mentioned, Rocky Balboa in 2006 allowed him more projects and allowed him to reimagine his career and then start new franchises like the expendables and like escape planets it is it, there there's his his ability to survive and reimagine himself is pretty impressive well he did direct the the rambo from 20 uh, 2008 um and uh so you know he obviously had more of a role it was rather than a production cartel because often these films are kind of there's multiple parties that just get a bunch of money together and then hire Stallone to be in their films. Um, I think he was a little more spearheading uh, of uh, the Rambo film, and it did pretty well. I mean, and it and it was generally well received. I think in terms of what it was, anyway. Um, and it, you know, it it had a better plot, a better story, a better cast. Um, you know, um, Ken Howard, uh, White Shadow, shows up for a few scenes. <laughs> um, you know, Julie Benz from my, um, she's from Buffy the Vampire Buffy, Slayer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, she shows up as one of the, the the missionaries. She's the one who convinces him to to go into the jungle in Burma and rescue these people, bring them back. Um, you know, and she's also the one who kind of helps him find his, you know, his humanity, as it were. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, you see him walking down the long, dusty road to the family ranch. 
um, you know, with the Rambo on the mailbox and, and all that, which is, you know, how we pick up where that film leaves off. You know, it's funny. I'd completely forgotten that ending. I, I just assumed <laughs> that he got left in the jungle, but maybe no, no, there, the there actually is continuity there. Oh, wow. She, she convinces him that, you know, that he needs to go back and reconnect to whatever he has left at, at home. And, and so there, so there is continuity. I'll give them that, uh, you know, but you know, for the 10 past 10 years, he's been raising these horses and, uh, you know, and then, uh, the, um, the the girl and I realized that the girl that we thought was the niece was actually the granddaughter of the housekeeper, but ah, but because okay. because and she but because the mother had died and the father had just taken off, um, uh, he basically raised her as his own. So right, you know, she's like a, like you say, like a daughter to him. So yeah. you know, that, I guess that's motivation enough. But um, uh, you know, of course, he can't let sleeping dogs lie, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> and has to take. Yeah, out it's everybody. funny. I, I think I might have blocked out some of that because you're you're telling me now, and I'm like, really? Is that the way it went? <laughs> I will say, and this is maybe where my some of my confusion comes in. Uh, an interesting side film that m- some might want to seek out uh, as a, 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 as instead of Last Blood, or either maybe in companion to it, if you really wanted to torture yourself is a film from 2013 called Homefront that Stallone oh, wrote. Yes. <laughs> it's directed by Gary Fletter and it's from a, adapting a novel by Chuck Logan and originally according to the um, Hollywood Reporter Homefront was at one time imagined to be a closing chapter of the Rambo saga. So it's an alternative Last Blood except Stallone somehow it, it you know through the the development machinations it never quite Worked and uh, the project was reimagined as a vehicle for Jason Statham. So uh, he plays an undercover DEA guy named Broker who um, heads out to the bayou to give his daughter a taste of the rural life, but he can't escape his past. And so what you wind <laughs> up having is kind of a sour little exploitation drama, uh, kind of a Charles Bronson vigilante picture. And, you know, if you like watching Statham do what he does, which is crunch people's bones, there's a, there's things here to enjoy. I liked Homefront more than I liked Last Blood. So that's why I bring it up. But it's not a good movie. Um, it does have Winona Ryder in it. So that's something. And she's always worth watching. Yeah, I can imagine Statham being a little more invested <laughs> to some degree than uh, than uh, Stallone is here. And, you know, the whole and the whole time I'm watching that, like, I'm watching the the cartel guys just get eviscerated in the tunnel scenes in the final battle and i'm thinking like these guys are criminals they they don't really have a creed or anything like you know how come not none of them just go no way <laughs> turn around and like like if i go in there i'm going to die so yeah, i'm just going to piece together as soon as their buddies started dropping dead behind like, them and around why them. are we like, here again let's let's get out of the tunnels and we'll just throw some bombs down there and uh, or yeah. something and we'll wait for him to come out and shoot him when he comes out like <laughs> it just seemed really really painfully obvious to me they're just cannon fodder like why are we avenging the death of our boss who's a scumbag anyway like and, you know it's just but of course they blindly like they're not soldiers they're not like they don't have a loyalty oath i don't think you know they're, they're just you know they're in the cartel and I guess they want to prove themselves to their scumbag uh, brother, yeah, the, the boss pile, or whatever. The but pile it's... of stupidity here just keeps going <laughs> but higher and higher. This, I think it's got to be one or two guys who just aren't as committed to the mission who just hop in one of those escalades and drive back over the border. <laughs> like, just let one of them be, you know, like a, a real person. But no, no, no dice. Stallone has an interesting career. You can't deny that. The fact that he's still going at 73, um, you know, I, I think of actors like maybe, you know, like 
Gary Cooper, who just kept going to the end, and uh, but you know was still in good movies uh, at the end of his lifespan. Uh, Alan, uh, Alan Ladd is another one who still managed to you know find quality roles, leading or otherwise, uh, later in his career. Stallone just seems to be going on on pure force of will and using however the movie industry works these days to his advantage in this case you know these kind of multiple co-production kind of affairs uh appearing in films where he doesn't have to do a lot of so-called heavy lifting as it were um but can lend his presence to something that they can sell to various markets i mean a lot of it is very business-like and not very you know there's if you thought there wasn't a lot of art in his previous films there's even less of it in some of these later ones um but you know, it, it, he started out as a, as you know he was a struggling actor. He says he was living on he was living on a bench in the New York Port Authority for a while there, um, you know, which is why he made like a softcore porn film early in his career, like a party at Kitty and Studs, which when he became famous got reissued as the Italian Stallion, and, and he shows up in in weird little roles in in early films, like he he plays a thug in uh, Woody Allen's Bananas. He tries to mug uh, mug him in um, on the subway, and he's in. Uh, he, he plays a thug in um, uh, a remake of Farewell, My Lovely, the Raymond Chandler um, detective film starring uh, Robert Mitchum. And uh, and there's, apparently he's in things that aren't even on his IMDb. Like apparently you can spot him as an extra in Clute, um, the uh, Donald Sutherland, Jane Fonda thriller and, and other things. And then, and then, uh, and then slowly, he, you know, he just, by just putting his nose to the grindstone, writing stuff and, and auditioning and, and so on. He gets into a film called The Lords of Flatbush, um, which is about, uh, you know, just about a teenage gang in, uh, in the 50s in, in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, I think Henry Winkler was in that film too. Um, and there's a lot of famous names that were almost in it. And, it, you know, it's kind of a charming neighborhood, 50s juvenile delinquent kind of thing through a 70s lens. Um, and, uh, and then he convinced some producers to make Rocky. Yeah, that story is kind of one of those Hollywood myths. Like the that, way that, that could it... almost be, like, at some point, I think someone will make the Sylvester Stallone story. Uh, like, they'll make a movie about him. And, you know, maybe not anytime soon, but I feel like, you know, the whole story of how, he, you know, how that whole project came about. It, is, yeah. it, he, it was a real underdog kind of story. And the parallels of the actual character to, his, to Stallone's own life make for such a delicious uh, uh, reimagining. I could totally see what you're talking about. Uh, and, and he, you know, he had this screenplay, uh, Irvin Winkler, a well-known producer. I think he also works with, I think he worked with Scorsese at some point and, and um, you know, saw the value in the story, but initially they wanted to cast somebody else. I can't remember who, but, um, and Stallone said, well, he wouldn't sell him the screenplay unless he could play the character. And so they said, well, we'll do it, but you know, for like half the money. So they, they cut the budget, you know, because they didn't want to take a chance on this guy who, you know, may have been a familiar face. He, he'd been on some TV shows and, and stuff as well. But um, I think maybe the low budget kind of, uh, you know, like, I mean, the first adjective anyone ever uses to describe Rocky is gritty. And, uh, you know, it's shot in Philadelphia and it uses that city's charms and, and occasionally lack of charms <laughs> to uh, to its advantage. Uh, and uh, I think it, that's part of the reason why the film holds up so well because they didn't throw a ton of money at it um, and uh, make it look very splashy and, and you know, uh, very 70s. Like, it, it, it still has that kind of semi-independent feel about it. And, um, you know, directed by John Alvidson, a, a, a kind of a journeyman director. Uh, I'm not a fan of a lot of his other films, but somehow he and uh, Stallone managed to connect here. And, uh, yeah, and so uh, this this film was a phenomenon at the time and, and uh, you know, won, 
won Academy Awards, even though Stallone didn't get any, I don't think. No, he um, was nominated, though. For, 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 for and acting. He, yeah. And writing. I think he, his, yeah. the screenplay was nominated as well, and he was like one of the first actors since, I think, uh, Orson Welles to get both writing and acting nominations. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it was all, you know, that, not an overnight success, per se, but uh, but certainly everything changed on a dime once Rocky came out. Yeah, for sure. And, and the fact that he was able to parlay that uh, fame and... Uh, and uh, the success into a directing career as well. Like he he directed the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, uh, Staying, Staying Alive, Alive. And, and he directed all the, <laughs> the, the subsequent 80s Rocky movies. Uh, so he had full control, and he used it as well as he could, and he had a lot of success. But, you know, uh, the Rocky movies aside, I, I, many of them I find hugely entertaining, and, and maybe it's got to be, Rocky is certainly his greatest character, his greatest success, and his most successful franchise. Um, but he he made some interesting choices along the way as well, <laughs> especially early in his career. He was in Death Race 2000, the Roger Corman film. Machine Gun Joe. As yes. Machine Gun Joe Viterbo. And, and it's funny to go back and see that film now because it's so subversive in a way that so few movies since have had the kind of guts or uh, humor to do. You know, we were talking about how Robocop bothered, borrowed a lot from... Death Race 2000 in terms of its satiric approach. None of the remakes of these movies, you know, have gone in that way at all. They've all deadly serious, yeah. which has is there really been two a shame. Them? I think two um, Death Race yeah. remake plus sequel. And... Yeah, and there's actually, I read, there's maybe it's on Netflix now, Death Race 2050. Like, Probably, they yeah. just keep making them. Uh, and and the 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 original is, is really wonderful. Uh, you know, David Carradine is Frankenstein. It, it imagines <laughs> yeah. this cross-America road race uh, all done fairly low budget, but the cars are amazing. Uh, that where where the racers, the more people they kill, the the run over, the more points they get, and it adds to their. So it's not just about winning the race; it's about killing people along the way, and it's this huge sports spectacle. The thing is basically a satire on American sports, but also on American society and its you know interest in gladiatorial um, you know pursuits. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great little movie. Um, now. Stallone was also in a, a union drama called Fist from 1978. F-I-S-T. Uh, which it's was... an acronym. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's also... I, I haven't seen that in ages, but I remember yeah. it's also worth seeing. Now, the movie that we watched together was was uh, Nighthawks, which came out in 1981, five years after Rocky. So at this point, uh, Stallone is a known quantity. He's a real star. He can do pretty much anything now with his career. And he chose to do this cop drama that has some sort of spy stuff going on in the middle of it. Um, yeah, it was, it's it's also very much worth revisiting, partly because it captures New York at a time when uh, New York that has completely changed uh, now. It's 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 lost a lot of that grit that he had then, and and the the film really works hard to create that sort of street level vibe that uh, that I really I really enjoyed. Right back at the beginning of this podcast, Stephen, you and I did a. New York movie right. episode. This could totally fit in that. This is very much of that ilk. Um, and uh, yeah, he um, Stallone plays a cop with his good buddy Billy D. Williams are working on the streets and they get reassigned to try and deal with a terrorist who's coming to town. And, you know, talking about issues that uh, we don't see much of in movies from the 70s or early 80s. Of course, terrorism is, uh, you know, for action movies, terrorists have become a big part of, of uh, the villainous uh, antagonists of action movies in the years since, but at the time, uh, it was unusual. And Rutger Hauer is the is the bad guy, and 
the Wolfgar. Film, Wolfgar. And he spends the movie spends so much time with him and his his plans. Uh, it's it's an interesting balance in terms of the narrative that that we get to know the villain and have him on screen. I would say at least as much as the heroes in this movie. Yeah, it was fun to go back and rewatch this. There's a, there's a wonderful new Blu-ray of it from um, I think Shout Factory have put it out, and it's uh, it reinstates music that had been cut out for all previous uh, home video releases. We actually compared Karsten's old DVD with this one. Uh, there's a scene where Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones gets used, and it was they of course would have cost a small fortune to get that for. Uh, for home video, somehow they were they either they just decided to shell out the money or were able to work a new deal or or, or what I don't know, but um, you know it certainly has been uh, sort of returned to its initial state as it was released in I think 1981, um, sandwiched rather neatly between Rocky II and Rocky III, and before he shot uh, First Blood in '82, I think. So it's uh, it's sort of he he's riding high, but he hasn't. Uh, his career hasn't gone into overdrive as it would with uh, once the Rambo films came out, but. Uh, and he's, he's still, you know, it's, it's one of the, not one of the last times, but he's really playing a character um, that's different than what he's done before. Uh, you know, he, he seems to have the cop character down pat. I, you know, he's, he's lost some loved ones, so that's, that's kind of his motivation. Uh, and, uh, you know, he looks good with the beard and uh, the kind of hair blown <laughs> With the, the hair dryer, blown hair and everything, like it's, 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 uh, it, you know, it's, it's a good look for him. It's, it's a little different. It stands out. Um, and and Billy D. Williams is great. They seem to have a pretty good chemistry. Him and his partner, played by Billy D. And of course, uh, you know, having just recently lost Rutger Hauer, it's it's a treat to see his part so uh, so predominant here. It was interesting to go back and realize how much of him is like I thought. Okay, well, he's the bad guy, but. You know, mostly it's going to be about the cops and their mission to, to track this guy down. But, you know, we, we spend time with him in London where he plants a bomb in a department store. And then, you know, where he's on the run in Paris and he meets up with his uh, collaborator, Percy's Kambata, who tells him that, you know, his enemies and his friends all want him dead, basically. So he goes to America. So he goes to America, you know, where and, and the whole idea of bringing terrorism to America was, uh, you know, was a pretty terrifying idea, you know, something that you know, we, we would eventually see come to pass. Um, but here it is in 1981, uh, a full 20 years before 9-11. And uh, it's, you know, it's pretty terrifying to go back and see that uh, that whole idea kind of laid out in front of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a, it is a, it's a, it's a cop drama that holds up. It, it predates some of the buddy cop movies, the more humorous ones that come later in the 80s. Uh, and in in terms of of Stallone's filmography, it's it's a high point, I would suggest. Um, and it, it it arrives before his stardom kind of calcified in a way <laughs> yes, that like where it was just like in the eighties, he just did a lot of very bad movies. He still continued to make Rocky movies. I would say that Rocky three and even Rocky four, both of which have issues, but are actually super entertaining films. Um, I think they are some of my favorite of the the franchise. Five is terrible, um, but uh, you know, in the middle there, he he kept making other movies. Tried to make more comedies. I think maybe he felt competitive with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was the other big sort of you know muscular action star of the '80s and had lots of success at the same time. And I don't know. I think of between the two of them, I think uh, I think that. Schwarzenegger in some ways had the more successful career, but Stallone has ma- managed to make his last longer in some ways and have 
a more a broader variety of franchises. Um, so it's interesting to compare the two of them, especially since they both show up in a, that recent, the first escape plan, which I, I guess we'll probably talk about. Yeah, and of course the Expendables. But uh, the yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, obviously uh, Schwarzenegger is the closest thing to compare him to. Um, and, you know, Schwarzenegger has this kind of interesting arc, too, where he started out as a bodybuilder and there was a documentary um, that he was in. But he also played bit parts. He plays a hood in a Robert Altman's, uh, um, not Farewell, My Lovely, uh, The Long Goodbye. Uh, mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger shows up as, as, a, as a hoodlum, which is kind of fun to see in a very funny scene. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, eventually, like, he makes the Terminator and, and that kind of gets him on. So the Terminator to him is, I guess, Rocky to uh, Stallone. And uh, it's interesting to have, the, they have these parallel careers. And uh, yeah, so Schwarzenegger has a hit with uh, Kindergarten Cop. Stallone makes Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> I feel like there's a direct correlation to be made there. Um, I, I haven't checked the timeline, but that's that's what it feels like to me. Um, but I, I don't know if it's there's something about their personalities that determines why Schwarzenegger is still pretty well regarded, even though he has been making sort of lower budget and direct to streaming, you know, his features don't get uh, the kind of attention they once did. And Stallone's seem to be on a lower level. Like they, they don't seem to be operating at the same level that Schwarzenegger does. And I don't know if it's because Schwarzenegger attracts better people to work with. If he's a easier guy to deal with on a set than Stallone is. There's a lot of things, a lot of conjecture yeah. that we can throw in there. It's to hard to know, you know, out. and Schwarzenegger of course had his separate, separate, uh, parallel oh, yeah. career well, as, a, as a politician. Career. And I wonder if that kept him sort of in the public eye in a different way that, uh, than Stallone, uh, did through those periods where Stallone just couldn't get arrested. Uh, you know, there was a time when, when his brand was completely, you know, gone. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know the, I don't know the answer to that. And, and, uh, maybe it's unfair to compare these two guys, but at this point when they're both in their seventies, <laughs> yes. uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost impossible, especially since in more recent years, they've knitted their careers together on projects. It's almost impossible to think about one without thinking about the other. Yeah. It's, uh, and maybe this is the note we'll end on, but I, I think back to last action hero, which is basically making fun of these kinds of films. Maybe that's the last nail in the coffin of the sort of prototypical 80s action picture. Uh, I'm making air quotes here, by the way, uh, for those who weren't in the room with me. Um, and, and, and one of the best gags in the whole film is when uh, um, Schwarzenegger's character, who's a, a movie cop action star who gets transported into the real world, goes into a video store and uh, there is a Terminator 2 Judgment Day cardboard stand-up with Stallone as the Terminator. Uh, one of the best visual gags of, of its time and, uh, and, uh, and a nice kind of nod that, that there's this kind of begrudging admiration between the two of them. So the 80s either is peak or his nadir, depends on who you talk to, was a <laughs> film called Cobra, which uh, came out in the late 80s and he plays a cop. And it's, it's um, you get a sense that it's his response to the he wants to carry on the tradition of Dirty Harry, like the Clint Eastwood kind of cop who makes his own rules, who's a little more right wing and fascistic than, you know, your average police officer. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, with an 80s twist. So he has he's a lot of snappy dialogue, a lot of, you know, uh, one liners. Um, but the film actually starts with with Stallone's voice basically talking about crime statistics in America. And it basically makes out the United States, America, to be this terrible place with where people are being killed and murdered and raped on a 
on the regular. Uh, Don't forget we have a loving close-up of his pistol as the camera glides over the barrel and we see the cobra on the handle. Yeah, yeah, like he, he, he plays a cop named Cobra, and it's it's it, the the movie cannot be viewed now without thinking it might be a parody. Like it, the the seriousness of it, which it was deadly serious at the time, just feels completely ridiculous at this point. And I know people have held it up as like because it's it's this. Uh, this this none more eighties cop yeah. movie that, with a complete lack of irony. Yeah, a complete lack uh, of irony. You can you can kind of appreciate in the, in those terms, but I also think it's awful. Like so. Oh so no it's, no, it's, it's it's not a good movie. It yeah, is, but it is the best bad movie <laughs> right of the of its time. I guess I can my, understand that argument. Uh, so yeah, so there there's that there's Cobra. Um, you, you know, so so I guess uh, what what should we tell people that they should should go with caution if they're going to step into the snake pit? Well, it, it's. An interesting artifact of its time. It's it's kind of the film. I mean, it, it's, it'd be great to watch it as a double feature with the previously mentioned Last Action Hero because it is exactly the kind of film that the Last Action Hero is making fun of. Um, the over, you know, just everything about it. The you know, the the overbearing, uh, you know, lieutenant or you know the, the superior officer played by Andy Robinson from Dirty Harry, who was the Scorpio, the killer in Dirty Harry. Interesting casting there. Um, it's just got. All of the cliches you could ever imagine, but sort of cranked up to eleven, as it were, to use a cliche um, to describe it. But it, the, every, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, and and completely over the top, to use the name of another Stallone movie. But um, the uh, yeah, the I get a kick out of it. It is not a good film, but it it's just so serious and just uh, just hammering away at at uh, every conceivable obvious plot point that I, I just. Uh, I just get a kick of it, and Stallone is completely straight faced throughout the whole thing. Like, like he, I think he's just playing it straight. I don't think he's trying to get laughs or anything like that. Um, you know, the, the, and and then just does the weird character things. Like when he comes home after a hard day's killing a maniac, um, he comes home, he pulls a slice of pizza out of the fridge, and then cuts a smaller slice off the edge of the bigger slice with a with a pair of scissors. With a pair of scissors, like which. I don't understand. Why does he do that? I don't know. <laughs> and, and you know, and then scenes of him like using computers and stuff, which just seem really weird and random. Um, I, I think it came out probably around the same time that Eastwood revived Dirty Harry. I'm trying to I, yeah, a little I, a little after Deadpool. I think. I think yeah, Deadpool was like '85, and I think uh, yeah, I think I Cobra think was that a year about or two right. later. Yeah. Um, so I guess he maybe he felt that he needed his own. Uh, Dirty Harry, and maybe there were plans to make Cobra too. I don't know. It never materialized. But uh, I don't think the film, I think, the, I mean, obviously the reviews were, were pretty, you know, laughable. I don't think it was that big a hit. You know, I think this is when his star really starts to go on the wane because when we start to see things, uh, you know, like, well, for example, I mean, he, then he comes back, he brings Rocky back, but then he's making things like Oscar, which is like, uh, directed by John Landis, his, his uh, attempt to make kind of a slapstick comedy um, where he plays like a gangster and, and it's like, it's like, he wanted to make a Preston Sturgis type classic Hollywood comedy. And, uh, you know, I, I laughed at it more. I saw it in the theater when it came out. I thought it was funnier than I expected it would be, but, uh, you know, revisiting it, it seems kind of tone deaf and weird, but, uh, yeah, yeah. There are some of those have completely vanished, uh, from, from any kind of affection and given how much the eighties uh, is, is still very much nostalgia for people. Those are not movies people go back to stop or my mom will shoot. You know, these are the kinds of movies that, that 
dropped away. They disappeared without a trace, and 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 I'm glad, sort of glad they did. They, he did have some hits though, right into the '90s. Oh he, yeah, Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. The app yeah, was one. Uh, I I remember the. I don't know if I ever actually saw Cliffhanger, but I remember the trailer well. You know, hanging off by a rope, like a genuine, you know, mountain climbing. It's adventure worth seeing. Movie. I think Lith John. I, I'm just off the top of my head. I think Lithgow is yeah, yeah, the bad, the right. villain, which yeah. is always worth watching. Yeah. And uh, and it's you know well really well made you know on location beautiful scenery good stunt work, um, and and a decent cast you know yeah. which is what you kind of hope to get from his current films which you kind of don't yeah um, and there was also Demolition Man with him and Wesley Snipes in a kind of a sci-fi action picture uh, with also starring Sandra Bullock in 1993 um, and that's worth going back to check out again yeah, I would say well that's got a that has a nice script a good script with some strong satire about the future and comments on pop culture and and it just has another layer to it that yeah. uh you know with with uh, the fact that it's set in the future but comments on the present day as it was and uh, and and Sandra Bullock is great and Snipes I, I think is like a super criminal who's been defrosted mm. so they, they basically I think isn't this what the um, Austin Powers basically steals its main story plot point from. I <laughs> yeah, think. you might be right there. Uh, you know, there was the less successful uh, Antonio Banderas film Assassins that he is in in '95, but I have some good memories of that. Uh, the Judge Dredd uh, adaptation that uh, that most people try to forget. I think most Judge Dredd fans were upset that he took his helmet off in the movie, whereas the character in the comics, the the popular British 2000 AD comics and uh, and the Jet Dread comics never takes his helmet off, so you never. Oh see yeah, his there's, face. there's a lot of mistakes made so, with that one. Yeah, uh, but uh, maybe the the uh, peak of his career, uh, critically speaking, was Copland, a movie he made in 1997, where he acted opposite Robert De Niro, and he plays kind of a schlubby. Um, you know, cop uh, involved in, uh, in in corruption issues, and uh, and he's he's a much more vulnerable character than we're used to seeing. I think that's what people reacted to. They're like, oh, he can still play, he can still do nuance. He's, you know, I remember the reviews saying, uh, oh, it's his best film since Rocky, and 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 it's not a movie that I've gone back to revisit very often. I think I've seen it maybe twice. That's um, worth seeing again. Yeah, sure. yeah, but it is, uh, and what struck me as interesting is that he didn't capitalize on the uh, success critically of that film to make more films that really stretched him yeah. as an actor. He always goes back to these sort of action templates and uh, and these sort of broad popcorn movies, um, which I think is too bad because I think he does actually have some chops as a, as an actor. Yeah, in Copland, he he's he plays a sheriff in a small town in New Jersey that is mostly populated by New York City cops that that live there, uh, except a lot of them are on the take and uh, you know and have to defend their reputations and and uh, respond to the the guys that are paying them to look the other way kind of thing. And he gets kind of caught up in the middle of it and. Uh, and it's an amazing cast. I mean, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, De Niro is in it, Janine Garofalo, um, Peter Berg, written and directed by James Mangold, who's who's proven to be a major talent. Um, you know, I think Logan, the the uh, sort of the last Wolverine film, was his last major project where he took an established comic book character and really did something bold and exciting with it. But you know, based on a previously existing uh, either graphic novel or miniseries, I can't remember which. But um, but Mangold is a guy I've always been interested in as a director. He's always done interesting stuff, and uh, yeah, you're, like you like like you say that Stallone had this moment where he, you know, he was 
back, you know, the, the film wasn't a huge hit or anything, but yeah, it, it could have been a chance to, uh, to kind of really reclaim that, uh, that kind of gritty willing to, to, you know, stretch his limits, uh, kind of career base that he had with, uh, with Rocky and early on. And of course, what does he do? He goes and makes a remake of get Carter, the, um, the Michael Caine, um, Hitman uh, movie from the early seventies, a really kind of poor, which which Kane decided to be in. He, Kane is in the remake uh, in in a smaller role, uh, which uh, tells you where Michael Kane's career was at, I guess. But um, yeah, and, and so that that kind of sealed. It was like, okay, well, this is the kind of film that he wants to make, and you know, there's not much we can do about it at this point. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's an interesting choice, and uh, maybe a disappointing choice, uh, given the success. Uh, anyway, I don't know how many people went to see Copland, but uh, but yeah. So in the in the years since, you know, he he has revived some of his best known characters. He's managed to make a few new movies, some more successful than others, many of which haven't opened in these parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he even had a small role in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, so he has he actually has a presence in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which uh, which is interesting to, to imagine. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, know if he's going to show up in 3 or not. Yeah, so. I'm, we'll, I guess we'll find out. Um, but he also started a couple of new franchises. The Expendables, which, you know, we talked about, I think, briefly when we were doing our Man on a Mission episode of yes, Lens it, Mirrors. it came up, yeah. And, uh, but it's not a franchise that we recommend an I'm not a fan of any of those movies, and no. and I, I just it feels like it's an excuse to get some of these old uh, older I should say um, '80s action stars together in one movie and have them all interact, but not write a script that's worthy of them. Yeah, those have a real built by committee, give everybody like a key moment and some good one liners kind of things. But but you know the it's 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 certainly less than the sum of its parts. The you know you, you get a couple of major if somewhat uh damaged <laughs> action stars uh try and you know shoot it all in Romania or someplace like there's there's a certain look and feel to all these kind of shot in eastern europe action films that we're being besieged with uh they're done without any kind of wit or grace or charm uh and and this is pretty much just like all of the other ones except they've inserted people like Jet Li and uh Jason Statham and Sylvester Stallone into it and uh now Stallone I think is the kind of the prime motivator behind these expendables movies you know and he gets his buddies to to come in and you know come by the set for a couple of days and we'll, we'll throw you in the movie and put you on the marquee. Um, you know, we'll pay you a couple million bucks and uh, yeah, yeah, he, for uh, two days work or whatever on, on Jimmy Fallon the other night, Stallone said that, uh, he would, uh, that he's planning to make another expendable. Oh, movie. of course Except he is. When he said that his, he, he literally rolled his eyes. He's like, I guess we'll make another Expendables. We like like it was all some kind of like chore for him, and I was like, <laughs> really? Is that the way you want to sell your movie, dude? Um, but you know, that's that's his career now, I guess. Um, he's he's also made a series of movies uh, in the Escape Plan franchise. Uh, the first of which, I think, maybe the second too, are are on uh, Netflix. Yeah, they're both on Netflix. I think the first one did play in theaters. I feel yeah. like the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking. I think I've seen this before, but and I, I'm pretty sure I did see it. Uh, when did when did the first 2013. one come out? Twenty thirteen. So yeah. that's you know that's six years ago. I, I feel like I did watch it. We have uh, a pretty and, and you, then, you and I between us. I think have a reasonably good memory for movies. We've and maybe seen. because it's so generic, I've just filed <laughs> it into the back. Now this is I a mean, problem I have too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not without its charms. I mean, it it <sighs> it doesn't feel quite as uh, assembled from you know 
pre pre manufactured parts like some of these later films. Like I watched Backtrace, which is on Netflix. It, it was made last year, shot in Canada. Um, Stallone is barely in it, um, but of course, you know he's front and center on the image that you see on your Netflix queue. But it's mostly about Matthew Modine trying to recover from amnesia, so he can remember where the money is buried from a heist or whatever. And, and Stallone is the cop who's, I guess on his trail, but he's gone for long periods of time in the film. So they obviously brought him in for a couple of two or three days of shooting, just enough to get him into the movie and, uh, and, and make some money back on it. But, but, um, at least escape plan, he's in it. He's the main character. He's, he's in most of the scenes. Uh, Schwarzenegger is there as the guy, uh, that uh, is helping him bust out of this super prison. And uh, they have a lot of scenes together. They have dialogue together. It's not like they're shot over the shoulder, so it could have all been done separately. And Jim Caviezel is entertainingly, you know, evil as the warden of this super prison. Uh, I'm not going to give away where it is or or the nature of the super prison. I don't want to ruin it because you could, I mean, it is, you know, it comes under the enjoyable time waster kind of category. And Vincent D'Onofrio shows up as... um, as uh, his uh, partner in his firm that where he goes into prisons as a prisoner and then busts out. Yeah. His, that's show, his specialty. That's his professional life. He know. gets paid a lot to go in and <laughs> find out an interesting the, concept, the, I guess. the, uh, the problems, the, the, the gaps, the uh, the security gaps on security in prisons and actually escapes from them. That's what he does in his opening gambit. And uh, the first thing I did, I noticed about it was how, clearly obvious there were problems with the security in this prison yes. that he breaks out of it's it's not very clever like there are there are uh ventilation ducts that are big enough to fit a man like what prison would have that like it just there it just it was incredibly dumb right yeah. off the top with absolutely no deterrent to keep a human from going through them and, yeah in this so-called super unbreakable unbreakable prison i mean it's about yeah. as easy to get out as a stolid 13 on Hogan's Heroes, I guess. But yeah, it's really it's really dumb. But I will say that the supporting cast, including Amy Ryan, 50 Cent, you mentioned Vincent D'Onofrio, they're all a lot of fun. And and I think there's enough of that to go along yeah. with, as well as Schwarzenegger saying things like, you hit like a vegetarian, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, at least they give them fun things to say. Um, Caviezel, who's not anybody's idea of a favorite actor, but you know, he, he's, he, de- he underplays his kind of villainous warden role in, in an interesting kind of way. He, he, he's not like a super outbursty kind of character. He's always kind of scheming and he's kind of reptilian. And I think, I think Caviezel maybe puts more effort into this than anybody does, but it's, it's fun to watch him kind of match wits with these other guys. Um, and, uh, and Sam Neill shows up in a bit part as the, yeah, the, the prison I doctor, to mention him. Um, yeah. you know, and, and he's got a moral conflict of whether he, you know, serves his employers or follow his, his creed or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's a good movie to put on while you're sorting laundry or something like that. It's, it's not demanding of, it's not a terribly yeah. great recommendation. You don't, you're not going to have to pause in case you miss something <laughs> really uh, important along the way. But, um, you know, but then there's a sequel, uh, uh, Escape Plan to Hades, and there's a third one that's coming out this year at some point, which will probably just show up on Netflix. Escape Plan 2 is not good <laughs> in a way that uh, makes the first one look like a masterpiece. It's it's it's, it's made in that format where Stallone kind of shows up from time to time and, uh, and sort of helps a, a whole cast of unknowns kind of go through the paces sort of thing. But it's, yeah, and Dave Bautista is there because I guess Dave Bautista just... Uh, doesn't like to have idle time on his hands, I suppose. He does uh, work a lot, that he guy. He does work a lot these days. And uh, and so uh, it's it's more of the, 
Stallone later period assembly line uh, cashing a check kind of film. Whereas at least the first escape plan feels like a movie, whereas this feels like a an exercise. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of this episode of Lends Me Your Ears, where we talk about the uh, the career of Sylvester Stallone, the Italian stallion, uh, sly to his friends, I guess. <laughs> you know, there uh, it's it's been an interesting journey. Uh, there's plenty of his movies I have yet to see, and uh, um, you know, and, I, and have no plans to see. and have no plans to see. <laughs> yeah, but he'll be making more of them. I'm sure there'll be another Creed. Yeah, I think um, so. And uh, and I'm sure that. I've heard rumors that he's considering making sequels to some of his other, maybe less well-known Oscar films. two. Yeah, or or do we want <laughs> do we want uh, over the top two or cliffhanger two? Stop or my aunt will shoot. Oh God, God sorry. Yeah, no, no, please, please no. Um, <laughs> and maybe we'll check in again with Stallone when when and if he does does some of those things. Um, so yes, as I mentioned, you've been listening to Lends Me Your Ears, and uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so via many means, including Facebook page. We're on Twitter at Lends Me Your Ears. I have a Twitter account. It's named after my blog. It's called Flaw in the Iris, and you have one as well, Stephen. That's right. I am on Twitter at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. And we also have a Patreon account if you'd care to send us a little bit of funds to help us support what we do here with uh, Lens Mirrors. We would very much appreciate that. Many thanks to CKDU for the studio facilities and for airing this show every second Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. And also thanks to our producers at the Village Soundcast Network for all that you do. And thank you very much, listeners, for checking us out and listening to us talk about movies. We will uh, see you again soon. It's never over! (laughs) This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.